All right. I'm here with Daniel McAdams. He is the director of the Ron Paul Institute and longtime liberty advocate. Um, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brittany. It's great to be on your show. So I didn't really... Um, I didn't really plan specific questions about specific issues because there's so much going on right now. Um, and I think you've got a lot to say about a lot of things. Um, one thing that I, that I would like to talk about at some point in the show is you spent time in Hungary and you've, and this was, I believe around the time of the fall of the Berlin wall. Um, you can maybe go into a little more detail about that, but what's interesting to me, um, I, I've spent a lot of time in Asia and I was, um, I've, you know, I lived in Hong Kong for a long time. I also, I visited Eastern Europe. I've spent a lot of time in China. When I think about totalitarian regimes, it's a real thing for me. And I've, I've met people who have lived through absolute horrors and I'm sure you have too. And my sense is that for a lot of people in America and especially younger generations, it's not a real thing. It's, it's like this thing you hear about maybe in history class, maybe in dystopian literature, but it doesn't seem to be something people really have a grasp of. And I feel like that's kind of coming home to roost right now. Well, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I think there's a misconception in the minds of people as to what a police state looks like. And I think that probably is shaped by Hollywood and by popular culture. Um, but, you know, the idea, of course, is that there's, you know, there are, there are, there are police officers everywhere. Uh, you, you know, you're constantly coming in contact with government authorities who force you to do this and that in a sort of a directly confrontational environment. Whereas the reality of communism in Eastern Europe, certainly, you know, you'd say after 1968 in places like Hungary. And of course, it wasn't true across the board. Um, but there is sort of uh, what happens in a real police state is that it's not your body that's physically controlled by the authorities, but your, your mind, and it's not the authorities that do it, it's yourself. It's self-censorship uh, that is the hallmark. You think twice before you say something, of course, over the telephone, but even to your own relatives. And I lived in Hungary during the Bill Clinton years. I was in exile, right? <laughs> so... So I saw the aftermath, the culture of communism that, that, that technically ended in 1989 to 1991 in Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union, obviously continued through the 90s because that was built in your culture. The idea that you had to censor yourself first. And that really is, a, is a more of a perfect dictatorship where the state doesn't have to put its boot, its boot on your neck because you've already done it for them. And that's what it was like. Uh, you know, in, in Eastern Europe and even in other places I've gone, like in Cuba, you never saw police because people policed themselves. You understood what you had to do. And that's sort of the most dangerous. I used to laugh because I would, um, I would take phone calls from people who were involved in politics and, and I would uh, get the call in my apartment and then I would go down to the payphone downstairs or across the, the square uh, you know, for, for real privacy. And I thought, you know, thank God we're never going to be like that in the U.S. How naive I was <laughs> thinking that, you know, but we've actually become, we've become accustomed to the idea of accepting the fact that someone is listening in because frankly, thanks to Ed Snowden, we know that right. everything is intercepted. Everything is intercepted. So we live in a completely different world. 
and we've internalized the kind of totalitarianism that it took quite a while to manifest itself in Eastern Europe after World War II, especially. So we have the same thing here. It's just not what people think it is. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like, I mean, for the last, even before all the COVID stuff started happening, the past couple years, I would say, it's been just hitting me in the face, the similarities between what our culture is becoming and the cultural revolution in China, Mm -hmm. the cancel culture, the, you know, finding a person to make your victim and just, you know, without even physically harming them, although that certainly happened in the Cultural Revolution, but destroying their reputation, just, you know, assaulting them because they're not going along with the politically correct. And politically correct is actually a Maoist term. I can't believe that it's caught on here. I thought it was a joke when I first heard it. Um, But that whole culture, that whole, um, you know, there's there's this ideology you must adhere to and you must adhere to it perfectly. And no matter how hard you try, you're never going to be be the perfect expression of that. So you've got to keep trying harder. And you've got, in order for you to survive, you've got to knock down as many other people as you can because everybody becomes a threat to you. The whole, this game is to be the most ideologically pure expression. And the way you get there is by trampling the people around you. I mean, it's it's so ugly. And it's, and, you know, talk to people who've lived through that. It's just this psychologically and spiritually ugly, horrific thing to live through. And you're right. It's not a matter of the police being, you know, at your doorstep all the time. It's not this physical confrontation. It's, it's the psychological takeover of a culture and we're there. I mean, we're there. It's, you know, it's, it's been coming for a while, but with the, the COVID-19 stuff, all of a sudden everyone's your enemy. All of a sudden, you know, if you're not, if you don't have the, the, if you're not wearing the mask, if you don't have this, this symbol that everyone can see and either you have one or you don't, I mean, that's, it's brilliant from a, from a totalitarian strategy standpoint, it's brilliant because people can take a look at you and know exactly you know, they don't, they don't know the reasons why you are or not, but they can make a determination about who you are based on that. And just, again, the parallels to me are just, are so stunning. I'm just, I'm really surprised more people don't see it. It, it, it is the party line, you know, in the old days, the party would come down, uh, a line would come down from the party on a particular topic and you had to tow the party line. That was just a fact, you know, and there's and no, it would change from week yeah. to week, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and why, why Orwell, you know, uh, was so prescient. But, you know, there was an old Soviet joke. Uh, one says to the other, I love the party. And the other says, yes, but does the party love you? You know, and that's, that's, what, right. it's, that's what it's like. In the cancel culture, it's actually terrible because we were going to do a conference on the cancel culture, but it got canceled. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. <laughs> that's that's luck. brilliant. Yeah really proved our point to us but it is and you know the the i mean i agree with you 100 percent um there are a lot of otherwise pretty good libertarians i think and i won't name names uh who who don't see it and who i can't recognize anymore and the mask is the dividing line and uh, people say well it's just some just put it on it's nothing it doesn't mean anything well that's that's kind of what they said in the old days when you had to compromise uh, different things for the party it's, this is not such a big deal. You do want to keep that job, don't you? You do want to keep this apartment, don't you? 
And so people will willingly adhere to it. And those of us that have made a stand on, uh, have made this as, as some might say, the hill to die on, uh, recognize that it's, it's just one of many. And John, John Whitehead of the Rutherford Institute uh, uh, points it out very well. That's just, uh, this is just the, uh, the, the something next will come after this. This is just the beginning. Maybe it was Bob, maybe it was Bob Wenzel. But one of the two of, of, of these two people that I admire very much said this. This is just the beginning. It was Bob Wenzel. This is just the beginning. Uh, there will be something next. And that's, that's what oh, yeah. we should all fear. And we know what the next thing is, too. Well, it'll be something shot in your arm. I was looking at something yesterday. They, they'd like to put antidepressants in our water. I saw that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's like every dystopian novel you've ever read, just thrown together, and, and this is your life. What's brilliant, I think, about the mask thing, though, is that it's it goes beyond just the party approval thing. It's actually, they've instilled this fear in people. And I mean, there are, there are people out there who legitimately believe that you are a threat to them if you don't have a mask on. And I will, my, I've, I've been torn on this since the beginning. My stance, I, find, I came to this and I'm still not completely comfortable with it, but what I do is I have a mask with me. If I come upon someone else who's wearing a mask and I feel like they might be uncomfortable if I, maybe, you know, maybe they're a geriatric person. Maybe they have an immune, I don't know their situation, but if I come upon someone who I feel like, yeah, they're going to think I'm a threat if I don't have a mask, I'll put the mask on. Or if I'm in a private business, I mean, I just don't go out much anymore, but if I'm in a private business, you know, I'm not going to start a fight with them about not wearing a mask. But that's, that's why it's so insidious because it's not just, oh, you're not adhering to the party line. It's your neighbors now see you as a threat. The yeah. people around you now see you as a threat. And you can't stop and have a, have an, you know, maybe the person I'm coming up, up to is immune compromised. And I know my mask isn't going to help them much at all, you know, unless we're like this. <laughs> I know, you know, it's not going to help them. But to me, it's, it's a sign of I respect your fear. Yeah. which also makes me uncomfortable because now I'm helping perpetuate that whole narrative. So it really, they've got us in a, they've got us in a tough place. It is a tough place. And you know, it's the, if we had approached this more rationally as we've approached every single virus, like in the history of right, man, of humanity. Yeah. It just, I mean, do you remember it was just last year, the year before the year before I remember you're, you're watching TV or and, you know, all of a sudden comes someone, Hey, it's going to be a bad flu season this year. You know, the seniors got to take care and, uh, you know, be careful. And, and you would, you would, you know, and, and I read something the other day that the human species automatically, when they sense there is a, there is some sort of an epidemic going around, they will, they will sort of by nature, by our own survival instinct, will stay a little further away from people. We'll be a little more cautious. Yeah. And it's just something we do naturally, but they have somehow taken this natural instinct that we have for self-preservation and turned it on its head, mm-hmm. you know, in the mm-hmm. theoretically immunocompromised person that you're talking about uh, in your day-to-day uh, life, that, well, that person should be, should probably be at home right. uh, being taken care of, uh, you know, and all the resources that were spent keeping those of us that are healthy or that can assume the risk on our own from doing what we do should have been used to, you know, protect the others. But here's the real insidious part. And you really touched on it, Brittany, because what it, what it has done, it doesn't require the state. Well, the state will give a few uh, little, uh, uh, little slogans to us. We talked about on the, the Liberty Report the other day, 
uh, one state official, I forget which state said you could be out killing someone and not even know it. <gasps> and when someone hears that, who's already a little bit flipped out because of this, they get angry and violent and we've seen the violence right. break out right. and it's incredibly dangerous, but you put person against person in, in, in a way that is unprecedented, I think in America. And here's a great story from Hungary since we started off on the topic. And this is something that was told to me by someone who lived through communism. Uh, you know, as you know, telephones were only for people who needed them uh, in a certain essential in, in people. Yeah. People that needed them. And it was a, it was a panel building, a panel, panel lockage, they call it. It's, a, you know, one of the big communist panels. And one of the one of the persons there on one of the floors worked for the airlines and he needed to have a phone. So the party installed a phone in his apartment uh, and he was a nice guy. And so he actually let the other people from the floor use that phone and everyone benefited from that telephone and everyone enjoyed that phone. Well, something happened and he changed his job. He was no longer with the airline and technically not eligible for a phone. One of those very same neighbors who enjoyed the privilege of using his phone turned him into the party and had the phone taken away. So that just shows how insane this literally wow. happened to someone that we know. This literally wow. happened. This is how insane people are. And this is how it's getting here in the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's um, it, it's tough to know how to deal with that because, you know, they, they, they're, they're putting the people who kind of who, who think the way you and I do, they're putting us in the position of if we're going to stand up against this, we now become the bad guy. We now become the guy that it's, it's okay to jump on and attack. And it's so interesting to me because I've, I've lived in cultures where people do tend to wear masks just before this, not as much as you see here, but like in, in winter time in the flu season in China, a little bit in Hong Kong, in, in Japan, you'll see a few people out there with masks. Mm -hmm. And in those cultures, there's, there's a, there's a sense of, I, I would call it community spiritedness, where mm -hmm. you care about the well-being of the people around you. You know, people stand for elderly people in public transportation, things like that. And it's not something that's enforced by the state. It's not something that, you know, you're shamed if you, you know, I guess at, at some level, maybe there is a little bit of that, but it's not this good guys versus bad guys thing. It's just, it's part of the culture. You, you care about the people around you. And when it's turned into something like this, to me, that's such a twisted, it's a real twisting of that natural human impulse to be kind to the people around you and to be considerate and care about their feelings. It's a real dark twisting of that into something really nasty. Um, yeah. I mean, if, if you're a religious person, you would almost say it's satanic because it turns everything upside down. This natural mm. instinct, as you point out, if you see an elderly person with a mask, well, you naturally would, you know, uh, give a little bit extra room, give up your seat. Whereas now it's, I'm going to get mine. Uh, don't you dare give me the virus. And it's, it's turning right. people against each other and it's worked so well. And the other thing that we sh probably shouldn't shy away from, although both, both you and I are not only nonpartisan, we're absolutely agnostic when it comes to <laughs> politics. I think if I, if I, if I know you as yeah, I Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's really fascinating, and I've been thinking about this. You literally, almost 100% will know who a person will vote for in this next election according to how they react to the, uh, to the virus. 
Yeah, it's that's I, I had um, I had Rachel Mills on my show. Um, do you need to get that? No, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. I silenced my one phone, but not the other. Okay. One. I've I've got to have mine on too because my my little girl's out at her horseback riding, so mine might go <laughs> off too. Um, I had Rachel Mills on um, the other day, and we were talking about that. I've I've always been nonpartisan too, and I'm I've you know I've been going on for years about how it's two wings of the same bird of prey, and yeah. and and all of that is true. But if you took a snapshot right now of America. Um, and you looked at medical freedom issues, look at the mask issues, look at the at coronavirus, it is split down the middle, Republican versus Democrat. And it is really hard. I'm, you know, I'm not a Republican, but although I, I find myself now, you know, on the side of a lot of Republicans know, because they're seeing terrible, what I see. isn't it? I feel the it's, same. I know it's embarrassing. No, it's like, no. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not me. But what's really interesting to me is to look at it to look at these conversations. I just, I just got out of a, a conversation on Facebook that was so instructive because it wasn't with someone who it wasn't with, it was with somebody who I would say is probably pretty intelligent, but there's this block. It's like more than ever before, there's this picking sides, picking teams and whatever your team, whatever the party line is for your team you've got to adhere to that. You have to hate hydroxychloroquine because orange man said something good about it. Yeah, yeah. And it just doesn't, it's, it's even, that's always been a little bit true that, that block, but I feel like it's gotten so extreme right now. It's almost impossible to have rational conversations about these things across party lines. I'll call it party lines, but it's, yeah. you know, it, and it kind of is party lines at this point. Um, yeah. It's, I've, I've never seen it this bad before. Yeah, and it, it was bad at first, you know, and in, in, uh, when, when Trump was first elected, I personally had friends of decades uh, simply end our friendship because I was wow. going on interviews on RT. So that means I must be Putin's puppet, you right. know, whereas my policy has always been, with very few exceptions, I'd like to preach the gospel of non-interventionism in any church I'm allowed to, any place yeah. I get the ability uh, to preach. And I would say the same thing on RT as I would if Fox called or if Rachel Maddow called, I would say the same thing. But, but it was bad then. But that was almost like nirvana compared to how it is today. Or if, it, you know, it's the, the lines are so clearly drawn and they're so political. And it just doesn't seem to be at all about a virus anymore. Uh, it's all about who, who you support in this crazy rigged electoral system we have where right. the party the difference between the parties is so inconsequential right uh, right you think about someone like like my friend jeff diced our friend jeff diced would say mm -hmm. because the stakes are so high in terms of the, the the government being so big there's so much pillage if you do win so it's right. not an ideological divide it's a spoils divide and so that brings us back to libertarianism and why the the real solution to this whole thing is just to simply shrink government, uh, you know, to, to, to the point where it's unrecognizable. And certainly, as Dr. Paul says, you have to have a separation of church and state and a separation of medicine and state. Yeah. So I am actually when you say that I'm I'm maybe I'm crazy, but I'm a little bit optimistic about this because I see things like, you know, look at well, look at medicine right now. Um a lot of those crazy regulations are being lifted because it's an emergency 
And we can't afford to, you know, not have people moving across state lines, you know, with licensing and, and everything. And so a bunch of things are being lifted. Um, and I feel like also, at least for the people who are thinking about it, the state has lost so much legitimacy over the last few months. I mean, when you look at like California in particular, where, you know, you've got to wear a mask, you've got to, we're going to shut down all these businesses, we're going to ruin your businesses, but we're going to allow these mobs to rampage through the street and destroy property. You know, you don't have to be a sophisticated political analyst to see that something's very much not right there. And I feel like for a lot of normal people, for a lot of people who are not, you know, into policy the way we are, they're looking at that and they're saying, this, this doesn't have my support anymore. This is not, there's something not legitimate here. So I feel like it's actually as bad as things are, it can actually be an opportunity to step in and kind of push things over a little bit. Um, because it's all it's it's pushing itself over it's it's like sorry that's my my phone too um you know it's a little bit like uh, the, the piece i wrote um well that you guys that you guys ran about the pharma industry it's yeah. become so absurd there the the outright censorship that's going on has become so absurd that they're no longer credible you know and yeah. I don't know. I just, I see, I see an opportunity there. I, I see there's a chance that things can tip over in the right way. See, now you're sounding like Dr. Paul, always looking at <laughs> the optimistic angle, which I like to keep me from, you know, feeling suicidal, but um, he's, he's right. And you're right too. Here's sort of an anecdotal example. You know, my parents, I'm from California. My parents live in California and they're, they're not very political people. Dad watches the mainstream news. Mom doesn't watch any news. But when the whole, when this whole, and they're elderly, when this whole COVID thing came out and all the California, the, the nuisance craziness came out, I was kind of worried that my parents would be hardcore, you know, maskers, do what the government says, you know, and that sort of thing. It actually turns out I was surprised that they went in the opposite direction and they became absolute rebels. And, and if you oh, do, wow. they are not rebellious people <laughs> and they're sneaking out to underground restaurants, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. My dad is going to speakeasy barbers, you know, where you sort of knock on the door and get your hair. Yeah. And and I'm saying to, I'm saying, I'm actually the guy saying, okay, mom and dad, you know, don't go out so much, you know. Right. We're we're the same with my mom. My mom is 84 and, um, you know, she's in good shape. She takes care of herself. She does Tai Chi and Qigong and she gets around a lot. But we've been the ones, you know, especially at the, at the beginning, we were saying, you know, I'll, I'll do your grocery shopping for you. You don't need to go to Trader Joe's. You don't need to, I'll, no, 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 I need to get out. I need to, you know, it's like, mom, we just, yeah. I want to like. You're in, you're yeah. in the risk, risk factor. Right, right. But at the same time, you know, she doesn't want to live shut up in her home all day long in fear. Um, you know, it's, 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 I mean, that gets back to the, to the, the whole, the heart of it really, which it's a person's choice. Everyone, everyone has a different risk tolerance. Everybody perceives risks differently. And it really, in a free society, I know realize we're so far from that, but it's a person's individual choice, what risks they take. And yeah, maybe some of the people running around doing crazy things are going to get sick. Maybe some of them will get very sick. Um, that's their choice though. I mean, nobody has the right to say you must live in this isolated little containment box so that you don't get sick and die. No one has the right to force that on somebody. 
it's terrible for for especially for elderly people you know the sense of disconnect but you know it was even the it was even the cdc director we talked about it on the show last week was saying that there are more deaths from 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 suicides than there are from covid in the u.s excess deaths you know yeah. it's, it's yeah. having an impact and you know uh, just me personally i i've been impacted by covid in my life but not because of someone getting the disease you know i've known someone very well who had tragically had a teenage son take his own life directly uh, related to this, um, the sense of despair, especially at that age where your hormones and, and all these changes taking place. There's another, another someone who's close to someone I work with and the, the, the young person is at the same age category and is suffering from depression. There are people in my family and Dr. Paul's family who have, uh, who have had uh, important medical procedures delayed for, yeah. for an extended period of time. So yeah. all of these things to fix this one problem have co- caused an enormous amount of other problems uh, and talk about the increase in uh, uh, drug addiction, alcoholism, abuse, people's lives being uh, d- d- thrown asunder. Uh, so it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's an absolute tragedy. Uh, it's a crime against humanity. I mean, it's, it's easy to throw that term around, but... I can't think of anything else to describe what's happened. It's, it's a crime that's committed, been committed against everyone to some degree or another. And some of the, you know, one example that I've, I've heard lots and lots of, of stories from people around us, but one example that just sticks in my mind, my mom, one of her neighbors um, is elderly and I don't think he's as old as she is, but he had had been working for a few years to lose a lot of weight. He'd lost like 60 pounds, done a, you know, worked really hard at it. And now she said she sees him and he's putting it all back on again. And it's like, you know, it's maybe it's a little thing in the, in the scheme of things, but to that one person, that's, that's, it's a big deal. And think about how many little stories are there like that around the country and around the world. I mean, it's just, it is a tragedy. Yeah, and it's uh, and the bigger tragedy is people are, are so accepting of this, yeah. you know, or at least they're afraid to say in public that they yeah are yeah yeah. Concerned. Well, here's one thing that I found really encouraging, um, and we didn't see anything. I don't think we saw anything about this on the mainstream news. I don't watch it much, so I'm hearing that we didn't see much about it in Berlin. The protests, the what looked to me like hundreds of thousands of people out on the streets you know, very peacefully demonstrating and saying, we're not, we're done. We're, we're fed up with this. Yeah. That to me is encouraging. And I just wonder, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Do you think that's because they just as a society are closer to totalitarianism that they've, they've seen it up close or their parents have lived through it. What do you think about that? I think that's a reasonable, you know, assumption to make that they have a history of having some problems with that, shall we say. <laughs> but it was amazing. You're right. And in fact, we tried to be conservative and say uh, tens of thousands. And, and the only pushback we got was from people saying, no, it was over a million. You know, yeah. don't downplay it. We wanted to not, you know, overdo it. But if you looked at the pictures, you could see. And if I watched a lot of the live video of the yeah. protest, and they, they looked like normal folks like you or me. Or right. And, and the, the media coverage I did see was, you know, always mentioning the neo-Nazi ties of yeah. these parents out there with their kids and, you know, just yeah, crazy. The New York Times had a tweet, you know, uh, neo-Nazis march in Berlin. 
And, you know, well, there's a lot more of them than we thought then. Yeah, that's what I, I think that's what Dr. Paul wrote in his column or we said it on the show or something that, hey, if there's a million neo-Nazis <laughs> in Berlin, we've got a problem. Right. We've got a problem. Yeah, it's, it's, it's terrible. And it's, it's also a little depression that we're not seeing any of that here. We saw a little bit of it at the very first wave, so-called wave. Um, in places like Michigan, but not anymore, really. Well, you know, I wonder about that because I keep, I, I get really focused on something. When I'm writing about something, I'll sort of focus in on that, and then I'll come up and I'll look at all the news stories that I missed. And I do see, like, just recently I saw a video of a protest out in Huntington Beach, I think it was. Oh, yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, where, where they had closed the churches, and so people went out in the streets, and they basically worshipped. They had, like, they were singing and praying out in the streets. And then there was another one where people, I forget which state it was, but they went to a Walmart and held their religious services okay. in the Walmart. So I feel like there's probably a lot of that going on. Um and of course, the mainstream's not going to report on it. We're also being censored on social media. You know, we're being downgraded, and and I can I can see it happen. I mean, I feel like my own bubble has gotten so much tinier in the last several months. Um, so I feel like it is it's it's getting a little bit harder to know what's going on. But I know that there are you know there are still demonstrations going on in California. There are some plan for this coming weekend i think um i'll have to i'll, I'll post about that actually when i post this yeah. because i know there are there are a few that are planned upcoming you know there are groups that are very much committed to to keeping this going and who are still very much opposed to it um but yeah it's harder to it's harder to see if if the news won't report on it um and if we're being shut down on social media yeah, you know when when you when you invited me on your show, you you said you wanted to focus a little bit on what could be done. Yeah, and that's that's always a good way to to try to sum things up. And I think, you know, it, it, Dr. Paulus said, and you know, quoting of course the famous book from the nineteenth century, but society goes mad uh, all together, and then it recovers its sanity one person at a time. So maybe if there, maybe we should not be so distraught that there aren't mass gatherings, but. You know, I've had little mini successes and maybe it's absolutely foolish. Maybe it's only for my own psychological well-being. But when I do go into a store without a mask, many times I've seen people look at me and rip down their masks, you know. And so if, if, yeah. if that kind of a movement can happen, if little things like that can happen, we might be able to drag society back one person at a time uh, yeah. until we have critical mass. And, you know, we don't need 50% plus one. We don't need... You know, Lenin understood you just need a small dedicated minority. Right. I think what we lack right. right now is a rallying cry, a set of principles. And I think Jeff Tucker did a piece a couple of days ago that was a good piece saying we need uh, a movement against the lockdown. Yes. There yes. needs to be some sort of a central rallying cry. Maybe it's the mask. I don't know what it is, but there needs to be some kind of a slogan that people mm -hmm. can attach themselves to uh, and move ahead with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think the will is there. And I, th I've, I think we do have a dedicated minority. Um, and it's sort of showing up in different ways. It's not completely united, which I think can be a good thing too. Um, you know, to not, not have like a centralized movement where they can attack the head and cut it yeah. off, but it is very dispersed. And yet, you know, we, we do need to be connected, but I think it's there. I, I feel like it is there. Um, I realize we've kind of, we've gone over time, um, which is fine. Um, any, any parting thoughts? 
Well, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, we have to we have to keep communicating these things. We have to re recognize the principles, you know, the principles that your father spent his life fighting for, of course, and we respect his memory very much. Uh, but sort of on our shoulders, we have to continue communicating, keep up our 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 vigilance and try to try to talk to people, try to be an example to people uh, that, you know, we, we both had similar experiences. We know what it's like in a society where these things have been taken away. We don't want to go there. I was never more patriotic as I was when I was <laughs> living overseas, you know, red, white, and blue, <laughs> you know, it's just, and I'm really not that way, but it's because we did have something that's special. And I think we have to work hard to try to get that back. And hopefully we can make a little bit of a difference. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so too. Um, Thanks so much for coming on. I'd love to have you come back be great. in the future. Um, yeah, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks so much. And send the link when you have the show and we'll, we'll put it out on our stuff. Okay, I will. Thanks so much. Great, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.